Knock. Interrupting cow. Moo. Without out of the way, let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thanks for the opportunity to gather in this place at this time. We pray, Lord, that you would speak. You and you alone know the condition of every heart and mind and life as we enter this place. Let none of us leave unchanged, untouched by the power of your Holy Spirit who broke into the world at Christmas and continues to bring Jesus to this world and to us. Do it this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. How do you respond to being interrupted? Knock, knock, jokes aside. You're in a meeting. You're making an important point and a colleague cuts you off. You're speaking with your spouse and a child comes in needing your attention. You're just sitting down for dinner and someone knocks on the door wanting to sell you something. You had just enough time to get to that appointment that you were already going to possibly maybe be late for and then you hit that traffic jam. You've been away on travel. You just want to get home. You just want to sleep in your own bed and you see the news that your flight has been canceled. These are small things. What about the bigger life interruptions? How do you deal with those? When a relationship falls apart, when a career plan just doesn't play out, the children that you hoped to have but you weren't able to, the unexpected health news, the death of a loved one. When you stop and you think about it, we are interrupted all the time in so many different ways, small and large. Some interruptions are just short-term delays. They're a nuisance, but they don't last long. We can get back to what we were doing. But other interruptions are life-altering. They completely change the trajectory of our life. I would guess that most of us see interruptions as something negative, not something that we enjoy. Because interruptions thwart our hopes, our dreams, our plans, either temporarily or permanently. And interruptions can bring about a lot of fear and anxiety because we don't know how things are going to play out. Christmas is a week from today. Do you realize that? It's sneaking up on us. For many, Christmas is a happy time. You got good memories of this time of year. That's a time of celebration, of worship, of feasting with family and friends. But Christmas is not always that for everyone. Christmas can be difficult. It can accentuate our grief, our loneliness. We might get together with family, but it reminds us of the brokenness that's in certain relationships. And so maybe we just assume get Christmas over with. So this holiday, it's mixed. Happy for some, hard for others, maybe a mix of both of them for a lot of us. But at least we know it's coming, right? At least we can plan for it and say, well, I know it's going to be happening just a week from now. But the very first Christmas was not expected. In fact, the very first Christmas was a great interruption. It was an interruption for an engaged couple who had an unplanned pregnancy out of wedlock. It was an interruption for the entire human race. 
What we celebrate at Christmas is the greatest act of divine interruption the world has ever seen. And so this morning, I want to spend some time reflecting on this, and I hope by the end it might give us a little bit different perspective on the interruptions we experience, both small and large. If you brought your Bibles with you, open them to Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. I want to consider three interruptions. Two come from the text. The third is an application. The first one is for Joseph, Mary's fiancé. The second one is for the whole human race. And the third, the application, is for you and me. So first, Joseph's divine interruption. We don't actually know very much about Joseph. His wife, Mary, uh, we know a lot about. She's the most blessed woman to ever live. All generations will call me blessed. She's the most venerated woman to ever live. And she shows up throughout the gospel stories in different ways, but not so with Joseph. After a little bit of information early in Luke and in Matthew, Joseph fades away. We don't really hear about him again. Tradition tells us that Joseph probably died before Jesus reached the age of his public ministry, and that's why he's not mentioned in the gospels. But in Matthew chapter 1, we have a little short story about Joseph and really told from his point of view. Matthew chapter 1 mirrors Luke chapter 1, where we get Mary's point of view on the same event, the discovering of this pregnancy. Though short, Joseph's story is full of drama. You can follow along. Beginning in verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. So Mary and Joseph are, I said engaged, but the technical word would be betrothed. And betrothal back then was a lot stronger than our engagement today. It was a formal agreement that was legally binding. It involved a payment between the families. It usually lasted about a year until the marriage was finally made official and it was consummated. Betrothal was so strong that there was really only two ways to get out of it. One was if the man died, then the woman would actually be considered a widow. Even though they hadn't officially married, that's how strong it was. Or betrothal had to be ended by divorce, and we're going to see that come up in a little while. So it's practically like being married without having marital relations. If you think about it, it's actually the reverse of what many couples do today, which is cohabitation, where they do live together, they have marital relations, and yet they're not legally married. In fact, a lot of times they're not even engaged. So here we have Joseph. He is legally binded, betrothed to Mary and Mary to him. Fidelity is assumed. But then he learns the devastating news that his betrothed is carrying a child. We don't know how he found out. The text reads, she was found to be with child. Now, maybe we take that literally, that Joseph found out some way, that he saw the physical changes going on in her body. Or maybe Mary came and told him the truth, said, hey, I had this experience with this angel, and I'm going to have a baby, and it's from the Holy Spirit. That's what verse 18 says. It mentions the from the Holy Spirit part. But clearly Joseph is not believing that if he heard it. 
Husbands, if your wife came to you and said, hey, I'm, I'm having a baby, you're not the father, no man's the father because it's coming from the Holy Spirit, would you believe her? Joseph's life has been interrupted, but not in the way he wanted. He has an unplanned pregnancy. That's stressful enough, but add to that that he is not the father. To his mind, his fiance has cheated on him. His marriage is ruined. He's been humiliated. His life has taken this dramatic change of course. How does he respond? Verse 19. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Joseph could have, and perhaps should have, according to the law, publicly exposed Mary. In fact, the law of Moses stipulated that a woman called in adultery should be stoned. You feel attention in the story? We have this possibility that Mary, the mother of Jesus, could have been dragged out in the street and stoned to death along with the child that she carried. Ironic. An innocent person, she would have been, falsely accused, being executed for a crime she did not commit. That didn't happen to her, did it? Thanks be to God. But it was a foreshadowing of the fate of the child that grew inside of her. Well, stoning was actually not really being practiced at that time for adultery. Even if it had been, Joseph was not that kind of man. He wasn't seeking that form of justice. He was a righteous man. He was a merciful man, we discover. Though he would divorce her, he would do so quietly. He would not publicly humiliate her. That probably would mean that he would take on some public humiliation himself instead of exposing her. And so here we are with a great interruption, divorce. Some of you know some about that kind of interruption. Do you find it shocking that we're 19 verses into the New Testament and we're already talking about divorce? Do you find it interesting that the very first story we have in the New Testament about Jesus, aside from that long genealogy, is this story about how his parents almost got divorced? Do you wonder why this book was written down? It's not for the healthy. It's for the sick who need a doctor. Well, their story would have been a tragic one if not for another interruption. Joseph made his plans. He's going forward with them. Divorce seems like the only option, but he's going to do it kindly, and yet he's done with Mary. With these thoughts swirling in his mind, Joseph lays down to sleep. And behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Write down that word, behold. It's a gospel word. It's not surprising that it comes up again and again in the Christmas narratives that we have in Matthew and in Luke. Because it's a sign that divine interruption is taking place. Behold, of course, just means look, pay attention. We read it later in Matthew 2. Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, and behold, the star went before them. In Luke, we hear these words spoken to shepherds, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Well, through a dream and this angel, God interrupts Joseph's life yet again. He interrupts the entire course of human history with this message. Joseph, son of David, 
Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. In this short message, we hear a command and we hear an explanation. The command, do not fear. That's also something that gets repeated in the Christmas stories. Why? Because interruptions, especially big ones, are things that cause us to fear. They mess up our plans. They thwart our dreams. They often cause us pain. Simply put, interruptions are threatening to us. So when God does a divine interruption, he has to start by telling us, don't be afraid. Joseph, don't be afraid. Mary, don't be afraid. Shepherds, don't be afraid. That's the command of Christmas, the great interruption. Is God doing any kind of interruption in your life right now? Don't be afraid. But there's an explanation that goes along with the command. Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. You see, that explanation changes everything. The explanation is the reason that we do not fear. This is from the Holy Spirit. Joseph looks at the interruption. He sees it as betrayal, as divorce. But that's not what it is. He's got it wrong. This is a divine interruption. This is an interruption brought about by God the Holy Spirit. This interruption will bring about redemption and salvation. That changes everything. Don't be afraid, Joseph. This is from the Holy Spirit. Well, that brings us into our second interruption for the entire human race. Friends, you have a problem. I have a problem. The whole human race has a problem. It's called sin. Ever since Adam and Eve's fateful decision in the garden, every person, every generation is marked by this sinful nature. And we cannot help ourselves. We cannot keep ourselves from sinning as individuals, as cultures, as its nations. As much as society has progressed, we have not progressed out of sinning. Despite all of our technological, economic, cultural advances, we still sin. There's still war poverty, sexual violence, racism. There's still Aleppo and Cairo. And it's not just the stuff on the evening news, it's the stuff in our own hearts, in our own minds. We're still broken. We can't get it right. We can't even live up to our own standards, much less God's standards. We continue to choose hatred over love, fear over faith, judgment over mercy, choosing our own best way instead of submitting to God the Creator and His ways. And even for those of us who are of faith, who acknowledge the reality of sin and we're trying to get rid of it and repent of it, we still can't do it. The Apostle Paul writes these painfully honest words in Romans 7, For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Can you relate to that? Scripture is pretty clear about the outcome of sin. There's only one outcome for it. It's called wages in Romans 3. It's death. It's judgment, death, destruction. The human race is on a collision course with it. We can't correct. We can't just, oh, let's just do this a little bit better, add a little bit of this to that, and we'll get off this course. No, we're still on that path. 
And we so desperately need to be interrupted. Verse 21, the angel finishes his message to Joseph. He says, She, Mary, will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Names back then meant something. Jesus' name means God is salvation, or Yahweh to the rescue. And the angel tells us why he is to name his boy Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. The human race has a problem. It's on a collision course with sin and death. But in Jesus, God interrupts us. How? He deals with sin. Through Jesus, sin can be forgiven. Flip over real quick in your Bibles, if you like, or in your minds, to John. John's Gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John doesn't give us Christmas stories in the way we have them in Matthew and Luke, but he gives us some pretty powerful stories about Jesus. And once again, in chapter 1, we see that great Gospel word, behold. It's signaling a divine interruption. It's John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus. Eric talked about him a couple of weeks ago. And John the Baptist sees Jesus coming towards them and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Who is Jesus? What's he all about? What's going on here in these stories? What's Christmas all about? Let me suggest this. Interrupting the pattern and power of sin is foundational to Jesus' ministry and his identity. Interrupting the power and pattern of sin is foundational to Jesus' ministry and identity. That's why he's named Jesus. God is salvation because he is going to bring forgiveness from sin. How? By becoming the lamb, God's best lamb, who lays down his life on a cross by which sin can be forgiven. That's the glorious news of Christmas. God breaks into our world from the outside and he mercifully interrupts your sin and mine. He gets us off the collision course if we will have it. He deals with it. He forgives sin. He takes it away. And then all these other things begin to happen. We're restored to this right relationship with the Father. We're made to be his children. He gives us a new heart by which we can start living righteously, not as this imposed thing from the outside, but something coming up from inside of us. He fills us with the Holy Spirit, and he guarantees our inheritance of joyful resurrection in a renewed creation. These are the gifts that come from Jesus, and we learn about them as the New Testament unfolds in the rest of the Bible. But it all starts, does it not, with this great interruption that happened at Christmas. So we've seen first how God interrupted Joseph's life. Second, how he interrupted the whole human race. The third and finally, I want to ask this morning, what about our interruptions, small and large, that we go on facing? How could we apply this to ourselves? What could we learn? Let me make four observations. First, our lives need to be interrupted, friends. They need to be interrupted. We don't enjoy them most of the time. We don't go looking for these things. We'd prefer to just stay on the path we're on, perhaps. But we need them. 
The reason is we get stuck. We get into a rut spiritually, emotionally, vocationally, relationally, any number of ways. Interruptions come to us from God to keep us sharp, to keep us from getting complacent or bored or unfruitful. Looking again at John chapter 15, one of the great imageries of the New Testament, uh, Jesus talks about us being the vine, the branches, that whole thing. You know it, right? Well, he tells us that the Father is the vine dresser. What does the Father do? He prunes. What is pruning? It's an interruption. It's God coming into your life and either cutting off something that's dead. We may be grateful for that, but pruning also involves cutting off something that's living. When God comes in and interrupts some growth in your life, something you see as positive, you think, why would you cut off that branch? That was one of my best branches. Why does he do it? Because he wants to bring more fruit in another area. He wants to concentrate the nutrients, the resources in your heart and life. Interruptions, they also stimulate faith. They begin perhaps fearfully, but as we press into them, they are an opportunity to trust in God. They're an opportunity to say what we should have already known, that we're not in control, that God is, that he has a plan, and that we can trust him as that unfolds. And then sometimes interruptions come to us as God's severe mercy. They interrupt the ongoing patterns of sin and idolatry that we have. Now, if you've placed your faith in Christ, he has interrupted sin in your life once and for all. You've been forgiven of that. But day to day, as we grow in holiness, we still deal with sin. We deal with idols. We have to resist temptation. And interruption could be a great way that God's coming in and saying, this thing is in the way, needs to be dealt with. So first observation, we need interruptions. They're good for us. Second observation, we cannot manufacture them. Sometimes we might want one. Sometimes we might say, hey, interrupt this part of my life. But we no more can produce a divine interruption than Mary could have produced the baby growing inside of her. A divine interruption is something that God the Holy Spirit does. It comes from the outside of us, and it comes in His way, in His timing, in the fullness of time, we're told. Jesus was born. In the fullness of time, in his way, we will have interruptions in our life. We're told the Spirit is like the wind. Can't predict it. You know its effects. You know it's coming. You see it when it's present. But we don't know where it comes from or where it's going. And a lot of times that's the way with these interruptions in our lives. Third observation. This is an important one. We've got to get a little bit theological. Not every interruption is of divine origin, but every interruption can be used for divine purposes. Let me say that again. Not every interruption is of divine origin, but every interruption can be used for divine purposes. Joseph thought his interruption was an act of sexual immorality, Mary getting pregnant by some other man. But he was wrong. The origin of this interruption was purely divine. The child in her was from the Holy Spirit. No immorality. It was a holy act. But that's not the case with all interruptions that we face, is it? Many interruptions in this world are the result of sin, our own, somebody else's, or just the result of living in a broken planet. There's another man named Joseph in the Old Testament. You know his story. He got a pretty coat. Brothers didn't like it. Brothers sold him into slavery. Huge, massive interruption. Well, as things unfold, the brothers eventually appear before him in Egypt. And Joseph said, what you meant for evil, 
God meant for good. So the origin of that interruption, being sold into slavery, that's not God. God's not devising some evil thing, right? He can't be the author of evil, but it can be in his divine purpose. How that all works out, that's the business of a sovereign God, but there's a difference. And we need to know that because many of the interruptions we face, death, divorce, cancer, infertility, job loss, depression, we can't attribute those to a divine origin. The original origin of pain, of brokenness, we experience, it's not the Holy Spirit, it's sin. But every single interruption we face, regardless of its origin, can be used by God for good. That's the wonder, that's the majesty of our God. He's all-powerful, he's all-knowing, and he's all-loving. And so in the great words of Romans 8.28, all things, all things, all things, friends, work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Can't leave off the last part. But if you've trusted Christ, guess what? You're in his purpose now. You're called according to his purpose. And so whatever interruption happens in your life, small or large, no matter how terrifying it might be, God can use it for good. He will use it for good. Fourth and final observation. When an interruption comes, whether through divine origin or divine purpose, our responsibility is to trust and obey. God's running the show. We just need to play our part. In verse 24 of our passage, Joseph wakes up from his dream And Matthew tells us this. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Joseph trusted God. Even though it seemed impossible, he believed that the Holy Spirit and not an act of sexual immorality had caused Mary to conceive. What if it hadn't been that way? What if he had woken up from his dream and saying, I don't believe it, it's impossible, virgins don't give birth to babies. Many people today doubt the virgin birth. Many Christians exclude that from their body of faith. Despite the fact that it's in both the Nicene and the Apostles' Creed, it's core content to the Christian faith. There's a lot of theological reasons why that's so, but just imagine for a minute if Joseph had doubted it. He would have carried on with his plan. He would have divorced Mary. But instead he believed. He didn't go looking for the interruption, but when God revealed what it was about, Joseph believed it. He trusted God. And he obeyed. He was given something to do, and he did it. He took Mary as his wife, and then, as the angel had told him, he named the boy Jesus. And just as a side note, what a sacred privilege together with Mary. He got to give the name to the incarnate Son of God, the name above all names, which every knee would bow, every tongue confess. Friends, when an interruption comes, we're not going to know all the details. We're not going to know the outcome, but we can always trust God, no matter the type of interruption. We can always believe that He's good, that He's working things together. We can always choose faith over fear. And if God reveals something in that context that he wants us to do, then we can obey and play our part. 
So we'll probably go on not really enjoying interruptions. But I think we can see that God is at work in them, both large and small. The little daily annoying things as well as the big life-altering things. It occurred to me as I was wrapping up this sermon, thinking about a conclusion, that probably this is the type of sermon that God's going to have the conclusion by giving us homework. And he usually gives me homework first. So I'm kind of waiting, like, oh, what's the interruption? I got four interruptions all, all day long. <laughs> so I'd encourage you this week to, first, pay attention to that in your life. When some little thing happens and you're like, oh, it's just a pain, it's an interruption, that's not the way I wanted the day to go. Maybe, maybe God's doing something in that. Maybe we can respond to it differently, whether it's a person or a circumstance. And then the bigger thing, especially this week, is that we can celebrate the great mercy of our God who with us, he came into creation, he entered to deal with sin, to interrupt the collision course we were on. That's what Christmas is about. And so our second part of the homework is just to worship, to praise God, to celebrate that. Let's pray together. Father, you're a great and merciful God. Thank you for not leaving us to our fate. Thank you for coming over Mary and bringing the birth of Jesus. Thank you for the way that you got a hold of Joseph in his heart, that he believed you and he obeyed you. Thank you that the story unfolded as it did and that you came into humanity and that you broke our pattern of sin, that we may now in you have life, have forgiveness, have resurrection. Would you come to us this week would you visit us through little and big interruptions that we might know your grace and peace and mercy and fill our hearts with thanksgiving, fill our hearts with worship and wonder at what you have done at that first Christmas. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.